Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm Nicole, your breeder community lead here at Good Dog, and I'm so excited to be joined today by Natalie Thurman, a wonderful member of our very own breeder community. Today, we'll be talking about working dogs, their history, purpose, and unique characteristics. For any listeners that are new here, I just wanted to say welcome. We're so happy to have you. Good Dog is on a mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them by advocating for dog breeders, educating the public, and promoting canine health and responsible dog ownership. We're a secure and free online community created just for dog breeders, and we're committed to empowering dog breeders with technology. If you aren't yet a member of our community, we invite you to learn more about our mission and apply to join at gooddog.com join, which as always, you can find in our show notes. So to kick things off for today's episode, I'm going to pass things over to you, Natalie, to briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background with dogs. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me here. Yeah, I have been a dog lover since I was born. Pretty sure we've just always had dogs in our house. Lots of variety of dogs. Did not grow up with Anatolians because I grew up in a suburban area. And honestly, I'd never heard of them when I was a kid. (laughs) We had like labs and healers and that kind of stuff. So I went to school for animal science. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian when I grew up, just like half the women I meet on a daily basis, probably decided that that was not for me, decided to have a farm instead where you get to have the animal contact without the customer contact as much. So (laughs) more animal, less human is my preference. So it's going really good with that. We added our first Anatolian cross in 2010. No one wanted to sell a 23-year-old girl, a uh, purebred Anatolian. It was so weird. So we started with the crosses, and now we just have the AKC Anatolians. It took a while to garner that trust with decent breeders, but now we have it. So it's been a process, but it's gone well, and that's part of what I hope to do is bring the breed to people who need them, regardless of their age or gender or any of that jazz, and just be supportive and help people understand how to understand how their dog thinks and that it is different than the lab you grew up with. So yeah, it's a big part of what we do here, but the dogs do work and they keep the mountain lions and grizzly bears away from my pigs and sheep and cows and children. So that also is good. (laughs) You know, I live in Manhattan and hearing that is just a crazy concept to me because the closest I get to wildlife is a pigeon. So zoo, you have a nice zoo. We have a zoo. They're definitely behind glass. So I don't have to worry about a mountain lion or a grizzly bear coming to get me. So it's just really cool that these dogs that I think of as working dogs, like they're actually out there doing those things. Yeah. And your earlier point about wanting to be a vet when you grew up. So did I also. Yay. Yeah. It was funny. That so many women that you've met wanted to be a vet. I was definitely one of them. I couldn't do it because I'm very squeamish and I'm not good with blood or guts or any of those things. So coming to Good Dog was like a happy medium for me because I feel like I still get to help animals and dogs specifically. But yeah, Much less bodily fluids at Good Dog. Exactly. No one Winning. wants to treat me with stitches or any of those things. I could barely put on a Band-Aid without feeling faint. Oh, so. This is better. <laughs> Exactly. It's so much better. 
So speaking of Good Dog, how long have you been a member of Good Dog and how did you first hear about us? Ooh, so I'm not sure exactly how long it's been, but I know I was one of the probably first 50 or something like it's definitely been a while. When I started with you guys, I still had crosses. So it's been more than three years, I think. So it's been a while. (laughs) Our OG members. I'm sure there's someone who knows that answer that someone, unfortunately, is not me. I heard about Good Dog. Let's see. I think I may have seen it in an advertisement on Facebook. I think you guys were advertising like a Dr. Hutch webinar or something like that. And I was like, ooh, I like him. That's kind of how the pathway started. So I was all about the ongoing education and just kind of edged into like, oh, I like this. Okay. Well, I feel like Dr. Hutch is like a great draw for people. Everyone loves him. I mean, how could you not? Yeah. He's very straightforward. He's very good. So he's awesome. He's probably forgotten more things than I'll ever learn about canine repro. So (laughs) he's awesome. We got to get another Dr. Hutch webinar on the books because I feel like the people are really itching for it. So just to shift the conversation a little bit to your breed, the Anatolian Shepherds, so many questions that I have for you about this breed. And as I was getting ready for this episode, I was doing a little bit of my own research and I learned so much, but I'd love to hear from you, like the history of the breed and what they were originally bred for, if it was a specific purpose. Sure. So Anatolian Shepherds are named after Anatolia, which does not really exist today. We think of it as modern day Turkey and like kind of surrounding zones and areas. A lot of people think they're just from Turkey and that's not really true. But now in modern times, most of them are. It's just if you get too far out of a certain region, you're now in Central Asian Shepherd territory or more of the Mastiff type. And so things are kind of fluid in the the region. But as far as the breed history, they're pretty timeless. It's hard to nail down exactly when they started because they didn't start on purpose to be a breed. They started where there was a need to protect sheep and goats, essentially, from things that wanted to eat sheep and goats that people would prefer to milk or eat. So where there is competition from other predators, like humans are really good predators, we're effective, sometimes more effective than we plan to be at eliminating other species. But there are also other predators, especially thousands of years ago, who had bigger teeth and were stronger than us, who we had to like kind of figure out how to combat and work with that to actually be able to eat our goats that we were raising (laughs) for meat. So the dogs, they've been around for a very long time. They're traditionally a shepherd's dog, like possessive noun, shepherd's they don't herd. A lot of people hear shepherd at the end there and they're like, oh, it's a herding breed. Nope, it's not. If your Anatolian is herding your sheep and goats around, that's not encourageable. <laughs> so it's confusing to people because it's hard to explain the difference other than like these ones will lead and follow calmly and keep everybody together in like a calm fashion. They're not supposed to put their mouth on stock. They're not supposed to chase and circle. They're not supposed to do the predatory things that like say a border collie would do to push your sheep through a gate or any of that. A livestock guardian dog, like the Anatolian, one of them will walk through the gate first and demonstrate that it's safe on the other side to the sheep. They'll do some checks and be like, okay, you guys can come. And then they just follow. It's so, it's so a fascinating. Pressure. It's a very different vibe, let's say. (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting. So they're more of like, okay, everyone, like this is safe. You can follow me as opposed to pushing them towards a certain. Yeah, 
Wow. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, you're using herders a lot of times it's to do processing of a herd. So you're going to vaccinate, you're going to deworm, you're going to demasculinize, you're going to do things to them and you're pushing them towards bad things. Whereas the dogs are leading them to safety essentially for the Anatolians and other guardian breeds. And they just have a different mojo to them than most dog breeds. Like even a Labrador is very different than a livestock guardian dog. There's different dogs have different personalities, but as a rule, they're just on a different level of calm. Usually once they're over about 18 month hump, they're very calm dogs, unless there's a good reason for them to get excited and upset. They're pretty calm. It sounds like it. I've never met an Anatolian yet. I would love to, but I picture them to be like very stoic and regal almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They also, a big part of them, like working with shepherds is that the shepherd is not there 24 seven. And we also have like way worse vision and hearing and smell. Our smell is way, way worse, but our vision and hearing is also markedly worse than the dogs. So they depended and they trusted in the dogs to detect threats that were a couple miles off. We're talking like they were so attuned to what their job was, which was keeping other predators away from their stuff, which is sheep and goats or a village or a family, any of that kind of stuff. They're basically communicating with other predators in the predator's language, which is barking and marking. So you're in feces and barking and noise to communicate, hey, I'm here. And if you come here, we're going to have it out. So just stay over there where you go and I'll stay here and everything will be fine. It's usually pretty effective and they are more a preventative measure. Is there a type of person or home that's a good match for owning an Anatolian? Yeah. I mean, obviously people with livestock, they've obviously worked for thousands of years on very large spreads of land. This is a very independent breed, which I kind of like glossed over as puppies. They do look to us for input and direction and reinforcement when they mature they will think for themselves they will make their own determination of threat levels and they will respond with or without your input and even if you're telling them no this person's okay you might have to go put them up i think they really thrive in an environment with livestock they do really well in an environment where it's like combo farm and livestock, like kind of we have here, we have 10 acres, but we have human kids that are outside all the time in the pens, out of the pens, riding bikes, doing all kinds of typical farm boy things. And then we've got the livestock, the dogs do work. They live outside unless they are injured or in heat because we don't leave them outside when they're in heat, injured in heat or actively having puppies. We pull them, but otherwise they're most happy out there where they can know if something's coming in. They don't like being inside of walls when everyone else is outside. They're like, I won't know if something's wrong. They're a little bit of a control freak. They like to know what's up. So yeah, that must be so hard for them. The short fall of podcasts is that they're only audio. So can you describe the characteristics and appearance of an Anatolian for our listeners so that they can maybe get like a visual in their head? Paint a mental picture. I can try. Um, (laughs) So you're looking at a large dog that's a little longer than it is tall, nice big shoulders, their head, not quite mastiffy, more narrow than a mastiff that you think of, but similar stature, just a little scaled down. My females are all right around hundred pounds. My males are between probably like 135 to 160. 
So they are a substantial animal for sure. When they are alert, their tails will curl up over their backs, kind of like an Akita or a chow. But when they're relaxed, they're actually down. And when they're around the livestock, their tails are down. So a lot of people look for the tail and they're like, that's not really an Anatolian. Its tail's not curled. I'm like, well, he's not upset about anything right now. He's like, <laughs> they do have a little rise in the shoulder. Typically, you'll see them in a what's called fawn black mask, which is like a light tan color. But that can range from like a biscuit almost off white, like ivory color, all the way through to like a very deep red color. Fawn is very open <laughs> conceptually, at least in this breed. And then the typical black head is very common. They don't all need to have it. They can also be white. They can be white spotted or they can have like a collar and high white socks and a blaze like you see typically in like a beagle maybe. As puppies, the Dutch marks do get asked like, oh, is that a beagle? It's like, nope, just give it a couple months and you'll know. Oh, that's so interesting. Uh, <laughs> but they can look similar to other breeds. Our standard says all colors are equally acceptable. So that really leaves it wide open. Typically, they have shorter coat. They do have double coats, which means that they will shed and blow coat once or twice a year, just like making a complete mess of your house. So that's a good thing for people to know. They do shed. And then if you have them outside working or they're in and out, you're going to have a different coat that they put on for winter, depending on where you live. Like a winter in Florida is not a winter in Montana, but they do. If you have them working outside like we do, they put on a substantial undercoat for every single winter. And even the ones that have the shorter guard hairs, they're still warm and toasty out there. Longer hair does not mean warmer for winter. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Your Litter A to Z is the leading science-based course for dog breeders. It includes expertly designed 18 modules, checklists, and reports that cover before breeding, getting your bitch pregnant, whelping your litter, and raising your pups. This course usually costs $479, but you can access it for free when you join Good Dog. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. I have two things that I read that I thought were really interesting for our listeners. So I'm going to read them. One of them is that Anatolian Shepherd dogs didn't actually gain popularity in America until the Endangered Species Act, which was passed in 1973. So the Endangered Species Act posed a problem. How do we control livestock predators that are now protected species and can't be killed? So the solution was to use livestock guardian dogs like the Anatolian, which can easily deter predators from attacking flocks just by standing there and being present, like you said. So that's pretty cool just to see exactly how they gain popularity here in the U.S. because they are an ancient breed. And then another thing that I read, and I actually found some cool videos on YouTube as I was looking at this. So Anatolians have been helping cheetah conservation efforts in Namibia since 1994. You're nodding your head like you've definitely heard this before. So one of the reasons that cheetah populations have declined so significantly was that ranchers were killing cheetahs to protect their livestock, which is exactly the problem that you're presenting to me. So Namibia's Cheetah Conservation Fund started this program that encouraged ranchers to use Anatolians to protect the flocks. 
So that reduced the need to kill cheetahs. And Anatolians have reduced livestock losses by 80 to 100 percent on farms with guard dogs. And the strategy has been hugely beneficial to the cheetah conservation effort. So that was a cool fact to show like how everything's so connected. And just by having these dogs exist, it's actually helping a completely different species, completely different animal also thrive. So I thought those two things about the breed were so cool. I know September is Animal Pain Awareness Month. And canine joint pain is a very real and important topic within the dog breeder community. Dogs love to move. If it's like my dog, it's playing a game of fetch or other people's dogs are running agility trials. They're moving no matter what type of dog you have. And working dogs like the Anatolian, they're no exception since, like you said, they're outside all the time. Maybe they're not sprinting around, but they are out there always. So what are some conditions that your dogs are under that might put stress on their joints? Anything that like you're hyper aware of as their owner that you look out for? Yeah. So work injuries are a thing, even in people. So we have a lot of uneven terrain. I have a hundred foot elevation change from the bottom of my property to the top, which is a pretty steep incline over just 10 acres. And then we have brush, underbrush, and we have really big conifer trees. They turn while they're running. They can definitely take out their knees. They can hurt themselves in about a million different ways just on our terrain here alone. As far as puppies go, it's really important when they're little and they're growing. They're growing so fast and their joints are not set. Their long bones are not fused. They are just an open book at that point. Having them outside where they can decide to go keep up with the big dogs or hang back is fine. You don't have to restrict them, but what you can't do is go take them on a five-mile run. Right. Forced exercise is a huge way to damage joints on a puppy before they're done growing. And with these dogs, that means you're not taking them on a jog until they are over two years old. What are some of the warning signs? You're looking at like favoring. So if they're standing up, and one paw is not on the ground, and it's the same paw over and over, there's something in that paw, or there's something wrong with their elbow or their shoulder. Like they tweaked something and they're not weight bearing. Right. Or they're just toe touching. You can tell they're not standing square. That's a huge thing. When other dogs or other livestock come up to them, if they yip or they dodge instead of just standing their ground, usually they'll just stand there. And if a puppy is like running into an adult, the adult will be a wall. And the puppy will learn that that was not comfortable and I'm not going to do that again. If they're dodging a puppy or a pig or something like that. But yeah, I will feel their head, their neck, down all their paws. We don't have a whole lot of burrs or cheatgrass or anything like that. But I just feel. And if they jerk away from me whilst eating, (laughs) I have a captive audience when they're eating. And that's why I do all this then. If they are whipping a foot away from me, I'm like, aha, found one. I know there's something wrong with that foot. And then I can look into it more. You're definitely going above and beyond to check them, which is amazing. And I was going to ask you any preventative things that you can do to protect their joints or just protect them from general animal pain. But it sounds like this is really one of the best things you can do is just checking them constantly, staying on top of them for any changes. Even once a week, honestly, like, and even not just Anatolians, like any dog that you have. I was going to say this could apply to any dog. You should just be checking in on them, checking everything all around. 
It takes less than five minutes once you understand what you're, and you just kind of run your hands over. Right. But if they're actively bleeding or if it's swollen, you'll feel that. You'll feel a difference side to side and you use both hands at once and you'll feel if this side is bigger than the left or vice versa. If there's swelling, if there's any sort of fluid like pus or blood, uh, you'll know to actually address that before it blows up. While the puppies are growing for the first two years, you want to keep them on the thinner side because having extra weight on those joints as they are developing can actually irreparably damage them. And it makes them much higher risk for injuries when they are running up or down a hill, jumping off a stair. I would love to know what's your favorite part about being a dog breeder? Ooh, my favorite part about being a dog breeder is when people come back in like two or three years and say, okay, I'm ready for my next one. What are you planning for the next year? Cause we're going to get another puppy from you. Starting out, you know, obviously I didn't have repeat return customers when I was just a baby breeder, but now that I've got established people with established dogs, I think it shows that I'm doing something right. Yeah. And that's really rewarding when people come back and trust you for their next dog too. And their next dog after that, I have some homes with three of my dogs, which means that's over six years plus they kept coming back. That's warm fuzzies. I love (laughs) that. Breath is also a close second. Yeah, there is nothing better than the puppy smell. And if people don't know what that is, I hope they figure it out because it's it's great. If we could bottle it, I'd be so rich. (laughs) Well, I think that is a perfect note to end things on. Thank you so much for doing this with me. This was such a fun conversation. I learned so much. I hope our audience did as well. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining today's episode of The Good Dog Pod. We're so happy we could have Natalie join us and share her incredible insights about the Anatolian Shepherds and spotlight this amazing working dog. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you back here next week for our next episode.